Pray with me. Lord God, help us to respond to opposition in the way you would have us do it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's readings are all about opposition. Jeremiah is humiliated for saying that God would judge his chosen people, Israel, for their sins and send them to their evil oppressors, Babylon. The psalmist is attacked on all sides. Stephen is the first martyr of the church. Jesus is sending his disciples and is warning them to expect opposition. And the question we're seeking to answer this morning is this. How should we, Christians, respond to opposition? A related question is, where do you feel threatened and how do you respond to that? Where do you feel threatened? It may be a sense of threat to yourself personally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, or it may feel like a sense of threat, not so much to you personally, but to your pursuit of what is right, good, and true, what you believe to be right, good, and true. Those who stand in the way of righteousness, in the way of justice. Now, Christians have been opposed for their faith since the very beginning up to today, all around the world. In the USA, we're blessed to be able to express our faith and live out our faith with relative freedom, but we still do face opposition for our faith. And some Christians put a lot of emphasis on the ways we are opposed for our, for our faith in this country. And there's a place for genuine concern about that and, and responding to that Christianly. However, at the same time, our nation's roots are in some amount of Christian norms and a majority of people still identify as Christian, at least on the surface. And because of that, we also see some privileges associated with being Christian. It's still hard in a lot of the country to be elected if you're not a Christian, and we still get to operate with a relative sense of normalness in our society. And if we ask ourselves what our biggest sense of threat is, For some of us, it may be a sense of threat uh, for the opposition we face to our faith directly. But I suspect for many of us, the greater threat comes from people and systems and structures which are shaping society in ways that we oppose without necessarily opposing our faith directly. One thing is true, though. Our society is increasingly a society that feels threatened by one another. The primary emphasis of our society has moved away from the things that unite us and the spotlight has been put on all the ways that we oppose one another. So how can scripture teach us in this moment? Well, I, I want to point to four things uh, which are all interrelated from our readings today. And the first one is this. God is in charge. Hear the words of Jesus. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus offers a perspective on reality which allows us to neutralize the threat that we feel from others. When we recognize God's true authority, we we are set free to to relativize, to minimize, to compartmentalize the power that others have over us. We need not have a sense of threat from others, when we know that the one who has true authority over us is for us. He has the authority to destroy your soul, yet his care for you is abundant. 
He is for you. He cares about a bird dropping dead in an isolated forest. He has counted every hair on your head. I don't know a parent who's done that with their own kid, except maybe on the day they were born. When we know that the Almighty God is on our side, such that not even death is a true threat to us, we can take the sense of threat and fear out of our response to opposition. When we recognize God's authority, we can also avoid falling into the trap of making ourselves the ultimate judge of our opponent, because that's God's job. First one, God is in charge. Secondly, the devil is the true opponent. In Matthew 10, 25, in today's reading, Jesus identifies Beelzebul as the master of those towns which oppose the disciples. He's the one behind it. Ephesians 6, elsewhere in the Bible, makes this really explicit, saying that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As Christians, we can know that the person who opposes you is not your ultimate enemy. You are not their ultimate judge, and they are not your ultimate enemy. Second point, the devil is the true opposition. Thirdly, we are witnesses when we face opposition. Witnesses to those who oppose us and witnesses for those who are looking on. Witnesses to truth, perhaps unwelcome truth, for their redemption. The psalmist is concerned with onlookers. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame on account of what's happened to me. Jesus says, you will be dragged before authorities for my sake to bear witness. And this is most clear in our reading from Acts. We have Stephen, the first martyr. Martyr just means witness. Those who, who witness to the fullest extent with their own lives in the mode of Jesus. He witnesses to the gospel through his death in front of a bunch of zealous religious elites. One of whom is this man, Saul who would become Paul, the great prophet, the great apostle of the church. Stephen's witness is effective in ways he could not know. His killers were his mission field. His opposers were his harvest. And he goes on to say that this moment of Stephen is the start of a great persecution against the church, which scatters the church, which up to this point had been relatively stationary in Jerusalem. And as a result, the word is preached widely. We, we soon hear about Philip being up in Samaria and Philip um, preaching to, to an Ethiopian who goes down to Ethiopia. X1 had promised us that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that didn't happen until there was opposition. Stephen's witness is effective in ways he could never know. Tertullian in the second century encapsulates this truth in a, in a well-known quote. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When we face opposition, our purpose is not to defend and protect ourselves, but rather to witness to truth for the redemption of others. So three, we are witnesses when facing opposition. And finally, fourthly, we are called to love those who oppose us recognizing their full God-loved humanity, that humanity that God deemed it worthy to die for. We recognize that we're 
all broken, fallen sinners who can only be righteous by the generosity of God and his grace. As Brandon preached last week, we know that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. We cannot condemn our opposition without condemning ourselves. Stephen looks to his killers and says, do not hold the sin against them. May your grace, God, extend to these sinners as it did to me. And Jesus on the cross, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. Elsewhere, the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, we know these words well. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, persecute you. A radical reversal of the norms of our human instincts. We are to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute them. We are for the life of our opponents. We love them. And it is so important, even when we're deeply wronged, perhaps especially when we're deeply wronged, that we do not judge ourselves wholly righteous and the other wholly forsaken, making ourselves the ultimate judge. You know, we might give lip service to our own imperfection, whereas in our hearts we have decided our whole righteousness and their whole forsakenness. History is full of examples of people who've been wrong and oppressed, who become the oppressors when they're given a chance. We can see this in the French Revolution. We can see this in the formation of the Soviet Union and Pol Pot's Cambodia or Zimbabwe or, or Rwanda, where it was the marginalized people committing genocide. It's a recurring pattern that we are compelled to break. As Christians, we must find a way to seek the life of those who oppose us. So that's the fourth point. We must love our opposer. But that's hard. And it's not just hard in trivial ways. It's not just hard because it's hard to take the high road when someone opposes you for doing what's right. It's not just about a political disagreement with a friend or a snide comment about Christians from a coworker or classmate. It's hard because this is about abuse. This is about downtrodden people facing opposition in the form of systemic and widespread historic injustice and evil. And the idea, as true as it is, that we're all just redeemable sinners loved by God has been used by Christians throughout history to minimize and thwart the pursuit of justice. Almost to say that if we really believed in forgiveness, we wouldn't seek justice. When we talk about opposition, we're talking about families and innocent people being made spectacles of as they are murdered in the Roman Empire. We're talking about Rwandans asking how my neighbor can be my neighbor when they killed those whom I love. This is about a new South Africa, considering how it would respond to the white minority population who had created and perpetuated one of the most dehumanizing systems of oppression against black persons. And this is about a nation that was built on the near eradication of native peoples, and enslavement of African peoples, which despite slavery ending 150 years ago as we commemorated on Friday with Juneteenth, is still a nation which perpetuates regular injustice against black and brown persons, where many people still oppose and resist the need for change. The reality 
of opposition and the threat to justice and what is right cannot be treated lightly. We cannot wipe this away by simply appealing to mutual sinfulness in God's inexhaustible grace as real and as fundamental as those things are. We need to go deeper. We need to add another layer. We need to recognize that Scripture strongly, consistently asserts the fundamental distinction distinction between righteousness and wickedness, between good and evil. It's not all the same. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but the wicked are not so. Israel and Babylon, God's people and God telling them, you shall not be like them. Those who are in Christ, those who are perishing, sheep and goats, and God as the righteous judge between people. To deny this distinction is to minimize injustice and gloss over atrocity. It is to deny the reality of good and evil. It's to deny the reality of sin and its consequences. And our souls, through experience and observation, know these realities. And our souls will not be satisfied with a lie, something that does not see this truth. But this truth of the clear distinction between good and evil is asserted alongside, simultaneously, with what we were talking about before, that the line of good and evil goes between every human heart. There may be Israel and Babylon, but Israel and the church are riddled with sin, Meanwhile, God uses Babylon and those on the outside for his righteous purposes. But knowing that should not lead us to say that there is no moral difference between Babylon, Babylon and Israel just because neither are perfect. And I'm using Israel and Babylon here as biblical archetypes of an oppressed people whom God is with and, an, and an, the oppressor whom God is against. The book of Revelation does that, so I figure I can do it too. Human history to this day is full of people being oppressed by other people who are the oppressors. And to ignore the difference between the two, between right and wrong, is to lie and make ourselves an enemy of the truth that we are being called to witness to when we face opposition. We are called to be witnesses. Witnesses for justice witnesses to what is right and true, even if it's unwelcome. Jeremiah spoke unwelcome truth when he pronounced God's judgment on the people. Stephen spoke unwelcome truth when he looked at the religious elites and said, you have always been opposed to God's prophets, pointing to Elijah's, uh, to Jeremiah as an example. Jesus' disciples spoke unwelcome truth, telling towns that they'd be better off in Sodom. We are witnesses for truth, to truth, for their redemption. So, how do we deal with opposition? Well, we need to do many things simultaneously. We need to fearlessly speak truth about what is wrong and unjust while seeking what is right, good, and true, while acknowledging our own failings, while seeking the restoration and wholeness of those who oppose us. One more time. We need to fearlessly speak truth about what is wrong and unjust, while seeking what is right, good, and true, 
while acknowledging our own failings, while seeking the restoration and wholeness of those who oppose us. Welcome to being Christian. There's, there's easier religions out there if you're looking for them. I don't have the handbook on how to do this well. But I am concerned about how increasingly polarized our society is, how quick we are to make one another our enemy, how much we are controlled by a sense of threat by the other side. That even if we're fighting for something good, we're too willing to destroy and dehumanize and humiliate those in our path. I'm also concerned by how slow we are, how slow I am to call out injustice how quick we are to misuse the reality of grace and forgiveness to dismiss systemic and historic injustice. I don't have the handbook, but I have two suggestions, one practical and one reflective. The practical one is this, keep it local, keep it real. We get so angry, feel so threatened by theoretical people we will never meet and have never met. We're sold narratives which we associate with a bunch of hypothetical people. We get angry at them on social media. And it's so easy to feel fully justified, like we've got the whole right of it when we're only opposed by hypothetical people. Or if all we know about someone is a narrow, out-of-context slice of their take on the world. Technology has made it easier for us to be targeted against people we have nothing to do with and will never meet. I'm not saying that we should totally ignore what's going on nationally or what's at stake there or that it does not affect us. Of course it does. But I believe that the more that we are seeking what is right, good, and true, while dealing with opposition with real people we can stand in front of, while dealing with real power structures we can talk to, that we can go to their offices in our neighborhoods, in our cities, the more likely that we will see and affirm their humanity See the image of God in them without compromising what is right, good, and true. Practical one, keep it local, keep it real. And the reflective one, I invite you to take time to reflect on these ideas in a specific context that is real to you. Identify where you feel threatened. Who or what do you feel opposed by? And even if you feel completely righteous in that situation, don't ignore that one. That's the one you have to look at if you feel completely justified in it. It might be a big idea or on the level of society, you may not have brought it down to the local level yet. And consider those four points. How is God in charge? What is the devil doing here and how can I oppose him? How can, be I, how can I be a witness here, speaking truth for their redemption without compromise? And where can I notice, see, acknowledge their humanity, the image of God in them? Like all reflective things, this is not a quick fix or an easy fix. This is more like growing a plant than, than you know, discovering a new idea. Take time, reflect, seek to imbibe a new posture on how you process the sense of threat. In a society where we're increasingly threatened by one another, increasingly fast to declare one another as enemies, we need Christians to be different. We need to boldly seek justice, 
witnessing to what is right, good, and true, while seeking the life of those who oppose us, knowing that we too are sinners and they too are worth dying for. Would you pray with me? Lord God, when we face opposition, may we look to Jesus and see his model where he did not compromise on truth and his pursuit of justice. It was willing to lay down his life for those who opposed him. Teach us and grow in us a bold and distinctive way to deal with opposition and threat in the society that we might be witnesses to the world of a better way. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.